Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. Trying to get a beer before or after a Nats game and are unable to get the bartender's attention? Well, Walters has solved that problem and more. Welcome to Walters, where Walters 24 self pour beer wall awaits you. Ask your server for a beer card and hit the beer wall, pay by the ounce, and try a few suds before you settle on your favorite. Follow us on Untapped to get notified of all the new beers we bring in. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 2-1 delivery. Swinging a ground ball right side into the shift. It is Cesar Hernandez out in shallow right field, the second baseman, the throw on to first. Jackson Tatro has a 1-2-3 inning. He's retired nine Rangers in a row. We go to the seventh, National Six, Texas nothing. The kick and the pitch on the way. Swing and a ground ball up the middle. Fielded by Hernandez from the outfield grass. The throw to first to Bell. In time for the out. And a curly W is in the books. And welcome to Nats Chat for Monday, June 27, 2022, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who is at Globe Life Field in Arlington, Texas. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Well, look, nothing is easy for the Nats in this 2022 season, but that doesn't mean that things can't get good for the Nats in this 2022 season. And dare I say, the Nats starting pitching has gotten good. At least the starting pitching has been good now in six of the team's last seven games. This is a stunning run of quality starting pitching that the Nats are in the midst of. And the Nats on Sunday afternoon, for a second consecutive Sunday afternoon, got an impressive outing from Jackson Tatro, the man who isn't supposed to be at the major league level, all of a sudden has become a guy who every Sunday now uh, gives the Nats a quality pitching performance. One run in six innings. Nats hold on, and I emphasize uh, that phrase, hold on, for a 6-4 victory at the Texas Rangers to take two of three games in the series. Fourth time in five weekends, by the way, that the Nats win a weekend series. Go figure that. But Mark, you know, I guess over 162 games, you're bound to see more or less everything be good at some point. And at least right now, the Nats are getting some impressive starting pitching. It is refreshing to see after what we had witnessed. And I mean, it's crazy. Think about the week that led up to that and what a disaster the rotation was. 
and the situation that they found themselves in to have flipped the switch like that completely different. So the last seven games now, the rotation has a 152 ERA, and that includes Patrick Corbin's start in Baltimore where he gave up three runs and in four innings. So that tells you just how good everybody else has been. You have two outstanding starts in this stretch from Jackson Tatro and Josiah Gray, each of them twice. You have Paolo Espino, of course. You have Eric Fetty. It has been impressive, and it shows you how good quality starting pitching can make up for so much else. It's going to give you a chance. doesn't guarantee you're going to win, but it's going to give you a chance. They've won four of their last six games now, and the pitching has been front and center for it, and it's just really refreshing to see. I don't know if it can last like this. If this is going to be all of a sudden an elite rotation, probably not. But there are enough glimpses here that make you say, okay, there's some guys that have the ability to do this and you want to see more of it. Three close games in this series at the Rangers. And so starting pitching mattered. Uh, 2-1 win on Friday night. Paolo Espino, one run, five and a third innings. 3-2 loss on Saturday. Josiah Gray, two runs, seven innings, nine strikeouts. And then the 6-4 win on Sunday afternoon. Jackson Tatro does it again. One run in six innings. It was the week prior, that 9-3 win over Philadelphia Nationals Park on June 19th. Three runs, all of which were unearned in seven innings. This really is remarkable what the Nats have gotten here from Tatro over his last two outings. But again, you can't emphasize this enough. Tatro is at the major league level, not because like his performance warranted it. He's at the major league level because the Nats were like out of options here. Tatro had an ERA over four for Rochester this season, gets called up on June 14th, isn't good in his first outing. That's the other thing. It's not like he's been good from the get-go. He struggled in that 10-4 loss to Atlanta Nationals Park on June 14th, seven runs and four innings. But these last two starts, this guy is bringing it. Now, you know, he's not dominant or anything like that, but he's effective. Uh, Sunday afternoon, one run in six innings, only gave up four hits, two doubles and two singles. He issued two walks. He had four strikeouts, uh, 99 pitches, 57 strikes, 42 balls. You know, he's not blowing you away or anything like that, but he's getting out. I mean, he had six scoreless innings in this game on Sunday until being charged with a run in the bottom of the seventh inning. So good for Jackson Tatro. I don't know what this means. I mean, it's only two consecutive good starts, so you can't go nuts with it. But boy, that's two more good starts than I think people were anticipating from him. Yeah, and what I like is I see some growth here from start to start. The first one obviously did not go well against, let's admit, a really good Braves lineup that was on fire at that point. That was a tough assignment for anybody, let alone a kid making his major league debut. But then he faced the Phillies, who were equally hot at that point, and shut them down, did not allow an earned run in seven innings that time. And this one, I know the Rangers are not the most imposing team, but there are some good quality hitters in that lineup, especially in the heart of it. And he got himself into trouble a couple times early on. Runners in scoring position, and he got out of it. He got three outs on two pitches in to get out of the first inning. Got Corey Seager and Adolis Garcia. Uh, he strikes out Heim and Miller in the second. And then he kind of cruised from that point on. Not a whole lot of damage. No hits allowed again until the seventh. There is a comfort level that you can see he's starting to get. The first time, kind of deer in the headlights look. Since then, more comfortable not trying to do too much. He understands who he is. But what I like is he's given this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity that think of all the different things that had to happen for him to get called up in the first place. And what by all accounts should have been a one-and-done or maybe two-and-done appearance for him. Instead, now he's forced the issue. He's earned the right to stay in the rotation. And Davey Martinez said he's going to stay in the rotation for now because he has earned the right to do that. We're not going to go nuts with this, but I was thinking about this during the game. So Jackson Tatro was taken by the Nats in the seventh round of the 2017 draft 
out of State College of Florida. When is the last time the Nats found a diamond in the rough in an MLB draft? Like, if you think about all of the good players for the Nats over the last decade, they are first-round picks, they are free agent signings, they are guys acquired via trade. You know, in the case of someone like a Trey Turner, right, acquired via trade, and then he was a prospect for the Nats, and then he blossomed with the Nats. But who's the last non-first-round pick who the Nats drafted and developed and then delivered for the Nats at the major league level? It feels like it just does not happen with this team. And when we talk about the Nats' struggles with drafting and developing in recent years, we tend to just reference the first-round picks. But the truth is, you know, you can miss on first-round picks, but if you're hitting on a bunch of non-first-round picks, that's okay. It feels like they never hit on non-first round picks. And I'm not saying they've hit on Tatro, but boy, wouldn't that be nice if a diamond in the rough was found via one of these non-first round picks by the Nats in recent years? So the only two that come to mind, and wait do you hear how far back I'm going to go here, are John Lannon and Craig Stammen. They were drafted in the 11th and 12th rounds in 2005, first draft, the draft that was known for Ryan Zimmerman. And they actually wound up getting, in addition to him, they got Justin Maxwell, I think, in the fourth round. Uh, Marco Estrada, who wound up having a decent pitching career with some other teams. And John Lannon and Craig Stammen, who you know were serviceable and Stammen's still pitching for the Padres. I'm sure there have been a couple others I'm forgetting since then, but those are the two that uh, just occurred to me as far as like not even a first or second or third rounder, but well down the road. It would be wonderful if that's who Jackson Tatro ends up being. Nobody's going to say that yet. Let's see how he continues with this. Let's see as the league figures him out a little bit what goes on. But I like the poise. I like the way he's pitched. And you're right. A major, major reason the Nats are in this rebuilding position to begin with is because they have not drafted and developed enough of their own. And it doesn't just mean first rounders. It means later than that. They can talk about, oh, well, all those years we were picking in the 20s, Uh, We're not going to get elite prospects. Well, you know what? Everybody has a second round pick. Everybody has a third round pick. And other teams are managing to find big leaguers there and they have not. So anything they can get from those later rounds is a huge bonus. And at least for three starts, uh, Jackson Tatro has uh, come up with the right numbers for them. Yeah. And look at a team like the Dodgers, which like never has a top 10 pick and yet like perpetually has one of the best farm systems in baseball. So that's just an excuse when you talk about not having high first round picks. Well, (laughs) this win on Sunday afternoon almost became a loss, or at least came dangerously close to being a loss. Davey Martinez, you know, tried to get through this game without having to use any of his A relievers and was unable to do that. So Erasmo Ramirez, bottom of the seventh, faced four batters, got three outs, okay. Steve Ciszek, scoreless bottom of the eighth, okay. And then came Francisco Perez into the game. You may have forgotten that Francisco Perez is on the team. He had not appeared in a game since June 17th. Sunday was June 26th. It had been a while since Francisco Perez had pitched in a game. And he ended up being a disaster in a three-run Rangers ninth. Uh, Perez allowed three runs, did not record a single out, gave up a first pitch, leadoff double to Cole Calhoun, then gave up an RBI single to Nathaniel Lowe. Then gave up a two-run homer to Jonah Heim on a bomb to left field to cut the Nats' lead to 6-4. We went from 6-1 to 6-4. Davey said, that's it. Perez out. Tanner Rainey in. We know that Tanner has not been at his best lately, and he did issue a walk. That seems to be a a thing that comes along with every uh, Tanner Rainey meal these days. You just get that for free on the side. Uh, But he did end up tossing or at least getting the three outs to end the game. Nats hold on for that 6-4 win. So could have been a complete disaster, ended up just being a scare and not much more. But boy, that was a very unnecessary scare. Yeah, no reason for it to ever get to that point. But you had a feeling deep down that there was a chance it was going to. And here's the thing. 
went into the game, we actually talked to David before the game about how several of these relievers have barely pitched at all recently. Erasmo Ramirez, uh, Francisco Perez, Reed Garrett is still on the team. These guys who all of a sudden, you know, they were overworked about 10 days ago. And then lo, you know, lo and behold, when the rotation is good and you get six or seven innings, now all of a sudden you don't need these guys uh, because you're using your A bullpen to try to close out games. So I think Davey went into this game knowing he was probably going to have to call on some of them. I think the plan going in was that Carl Edwards Jr. and Kyle Finnegan were not going to pitch at all. They both had pitched the previous two days. And I think ideally he wanted to stay away from Rainey. Now, the problem was, and it's a good problem to have, they were in a position to be in a close game and try to win for the third straight day. That hasn't happened a lot this year. So you get there late. He went to C-Sheck in the eighth. That went fine. He only threw 10 pitches. And I thought maybe there's a chance you bring him back out. But Deep down, I just thought, even though it was a five-run lead, he's probably going to just pitch Rainey in the ninth anyways. And by the way, he had to have Finnegan warming at one point in the seventh of when things were starting to get dicey. Uh, the last thing you want to do, he has to warm up and not use him in what would have been a third straight appearance. So you, you burn him up that way. And now you get to the ninth and look, I get it. You have a five-run lead. You should be able to trust somebody else to end the game. But I also felt like the moment that Perez gets into any kind of trouble, you're going to have to start warming up Rainey anyways. And sure enough, two batters in, he was warming up and then a home run and all of a sudden Rainey's in the game. I'm not faulting the strategy. You're trying to get through this, but it just deep down, it felt like to me at best Rainey was going to have to warm up and at worst he was going to have to pitch in the game and he did have to pitch in the game. And so you wonder, should he have just started the inning all altogether? It played out in a really bad way. And, you know, of course, it starts with Perez. I mean, get an out, okay? Get get a couple of outs, please. I mean, you know, you got a five-run lead here. It was painful. And I, I think what was striking is you knew kind of right away Perez didn't have it. And you see this with these relievers sometimes. They come in, you know, you, you, you had the concern because he hadn't pitched in so long. And he doesn't have it. And then you really start to wonder. And then when he gave up that homer, I don't think anyone was surprised by that because seeing how he had looked over those first two batters. And then, of course, you had to pull him after the home run. So that was a shame. But, of course, it could have ended up being much worse. So at least, you know, this is not some just out of nowhere loss that the Nats ended up suffering in this game. As much as we say that wins and losses don't matter and they don't, I mean, we are all human, okay? I mean, when you're up 6-1 in the ninth inning with a chance for a series win, get the win, please. All right? The Nats, thankfully, did do that. Are you a law firm partner looking for a better situation for your practice and a blockbuster contract worthy of Juan Soto? If so, you should call Mason Kalfas of Zenith Legal in Washington, D.C. Works with law firms and lawyers on finding the perfect match. No platoons, just superstars. Some lawyers switch firms because of conflict. Some lawyers switch firms for a better platform for their practice. And some lawyers switch firms for more money. You need the Scott Boris of Legal Headhunters working for you, and that's Mason. Mason will work with you to find a better fit for your practice and ultimately the best deal for you and your entire team. Call him today at 202-486-3535 or check out his website, zenithlegal.com. This is an unprecedented time in the legal market and many top firms are looking to expand. Call Mason today. Zenith Legal also works with associates and distinguishes itself 
on personal service. Zenith Legal doesn't just spam resumes out to law firms. Zenith Legal talks to the right people and gets your resume in front of the decision makers who matter. Whether you are a Rainmaker partner or a mid-level associate, give Mason Kalfas at Zenith Legal a call today to accelerate your career. Call today, 202-486-3535. Roaming Rooster, the best fried chicken sandwich in the DMV, is expanding. You've already seen our location by Section 238 at Nationals Park, but now we have recently opened up locations in Pike and Rose in Maryland, and in Virginia, we now have Burke and Chantilly. Locations under construction include Gaithersburg, Crofton, and Manassas. The first two listeners to email Podcast at NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com will receive gift cards at the new Roaming Rooster locations. And now the set of the pitch. Chopping ground ball right side through to right field to base it. Soto being waved around third. Garcia's throw on one hop to the plate is not handled by the catcher Heim. Soto is safe. Over to third is Bell as the ball rolled away. Cruz then goes to second to the Nationals lead one to nothing. We've talked a lot about Juan Soto lately, right? And this uh, bizarro season that he's having. Well, Juan Soto on Sunday afternoon got on base five times. He finished with the oh-so-rare final line of one-for-one one with a single and four walks. And the single came on one of the more weak hits you'll ever see Juan Soto have. Soto, in what ended up being an ads three-run second, a two-out opposite field single on a very weakly hit ball to left field. And then in his other four plate appearances, he drew walks. Three-run first, one-out six-pitch walk. Top of the fourth, two-out four-pitch walk. Top of the sixth, two-out five-pitch walk. Top of the ninth, a five-pitch walk. This actually doesn't end up being that bad of a series for Soto. Remember, he had a double in each of the first two games, although he also had multiple fails with runners in scoring position over those two games. But he does that Soto thing that really only he can do, right? Get on base five times in a game. He is leading the majors by miles and walks this season with 61. And I know Davey Martinez tells you guys all the time, right? He wants to see Soto get his walks. Well, (laughs) Soto got four walks on Sunday. Yeah, uh, he did what needed to be done in this game, what was needed of him. And he let the guys behind him drive him in, which they did very well. Bell and Cruz drove in a combined four runs in those first two innings. So we know Soto isn't quite right yet. Now, he is still doing better and accepting his walks, as Davey calls it, when he bats with nobody on base or maybe one runner on base. He's still not doing it with runners in scoring position. And Davey mentioned before the game that he feels like in those spots, that's when you see him start to chase. That's when you see him start to try to do too much to drive a runner in. Well, what was interesting here is he didn't come up at all with anybody in scoring position in this game. Three times he walked with nobody on. The other two plate appearances, there was just a runner on first. And for whatever reason, that might be a more comfortable at bat for him. And maybe he is a little more patient, not feeling the pressure to now try to drive the guy in. But here's the other interesting thing. And we've referenced that the last few days, how he's back hitting second again after that run of hitting third. We got an answer behind this. Go all the way back to last Friday's doubleheader against the Phillies, the first game of the doubleheader. They lost the game 5-3 in the bottom of the ninth with two outs. Cesar Hernandez was at the plate. He struck out to end the game, and Juan Soto was in the on-deck circle. And Davey decided then, I don't want that to happen again. This is one of the reasons he said in spring training, he didn't. He liked him hitting second versus third because of better opportunity to come up with the game on the line in the ninth. And so ever since then, he's hit second again. Now, the numbers... 
he's been the same hitter second and third. That really hasn't mattered at all to him. It's really about driving in runs when he has the opportunity to run from the scoring position. So he's going to continue to hit second. They hope when the opportunities for him come to drive in runs that he will be able to stay patient and calm and do that. A good sign here was that he was patient, trusted his teammates behind him to drive in the runs. That's what they did in this game. Well, good for Davey for recognizing that when someone bats higher, he gets more plate appearances than the guy batting behind him. That's, uh, I would think Davey would have known that by now. Uh, but anyway, uh, good for him for that. Yes. I mean, so to look, you get on base five times in a game, like it's hard to complain too much about that. But he still is in this strange place, as we've discussed. And one game obviously doesn't change that. But, you know, you mentioned Josh Bell and Nelson Cruz. This really was one of the better series we've seen this season in terms of especially Bell and Cruz. And really, if you add up what all three guys did, Bell, Cruz, and Soto. Josh Bell was a monster in this series, right? He's from Texas, and boy, did he end up killing it in this series. Bell on Sunday, three for five, RBI double, and two singles. And what really stands out is throughout this series, how often Bell got hits with two strikes on him. He, in the game on Friday night, had a one-out double in a one-run six on an 0-2 pitch. He, in the game on Saturday, had a leadoff single top of the eighth on a 1-2 pitch. He, in this game on Sunday, in that Nats three-run second, two-out RBI double to right field on an 0-2 pitch for a 4-0 Nats lead. Bell, in the top of the fourth, a two-out opposite field single on a 1-2 pitch through the left side of the infield. And Bell on Sunday in the three-run first, one-out single up the middle despite having been down in that count at 1.12. It's not just that he's getting hits. He looks so good in these plate appearances. Doesn't matter if he has two strikes on him. He can go the opposite way. We're seeing him hit for power. He's having big hits. He's been their best hitter so far this season. And this series, I just thought Josh Bell was so impressive offensively. Yeah, I like how you're talking about the two-strike approach. It's something he's really worked on. And if you remember when he first joined them last year and that those first six weeks went so horribly for him, it was all about his timing. He was off. You could see he was late on the fastball and then maybe sometimes ahead on the breaking ball. He really worked to cut down on the swing, keep the bat in the zone, only swing at the pitches that are in the zone. He's not chasing a whole lot. And two-strike approach is such a big part of that for him. And he like I said, has worked very hard at that to get better at it. And what you see now are these good controlled swings in those situations. He's not afraid to go the other way with it. He's done it right-handed and left-handed, and it's been a godsend for them. You see what a difference it makes. And that's why if you're Juan Soto, you can say, hey, I just need to get on base. Don't worry about driving in runs right now. Get on base because the guy behind me is red hot and I trust him to get the job done. And Nelson Cruz as well, who's done a lot better lately. So it it really worked out about as well as you could hope. Yes, bigger picture, you want Juan Soto to be hitting the ball with authority. But for now, what they needed him to do is get on base because Josh Bell and to a lesser extent, Nelson Cruz have been hitting so well. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. It feels like everything is going up these days, including home prices. And so there's no better time to have the look of your home go up and the value of your home go up with new windows from Window Nation. Get two free windows with every two windows that you buy, plus pay nothing for two full years. Take advantage of this offer. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com and make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. It's getting hot outside. Weather impacts your windows. Hot days can cause a caulk to crack, seal failures, and condensation. 
Window Nation only uses top-of-the-line materials, including mold spray and quad max sealant. Window Nation is the best. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com and make sure that you ask for the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi. Two free windows for every two windows that you buy, plus pay nothing for two full years. 866-90NATION or windownation.com. That's 866-90NATION or windownation.com. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Auto sets. 3 2 again. Fastball hit in the air to deep right. On the run, Garcia. It's over his head and off the base of the wall in the corner. Soto has scored. Bell has scored. Cruz going to second to throw there. In time for the out, but the run scores. It is a single. Two runs batted in. And Cruz trying to leg it into a double is thrown out by Garcia at second base to end the inning. Well, with Nelson Cruz, I feel like we could do an hour on his game on Sunday and his series uh, at the Rangers. So first of all, for Cruz on Sunday, another good game. Two for five, had a two-run single and an RBI single. But surrounding these hits were various things to keep in mind here. So Cruz in that Nats three-run first on Sunday, one out first pitch, opposite field RBI single through the right side of the infield to score Juan Soto for a one nothing lead. Soto scoring on a rather aggressive send by the Nats third base coach, Gary DeSarcina. And man, did that stand out, right? Off what happened on Friday night when DeSarcina sent Cruz home and Cruz ended up being out by a mile for the second out uh, in in the uh, top of the fourth. Though This happened on a K-Bet Ruiz one-out single to right center field. So all this Gary DeSarcina talk here lately, he takes another big-time chance with Soto in that first inning. A better throw, and I think Soto's out, but the throw did not end up being successful. 
Soto ended up sliding in safely. Uh, then we had Cruz in the Nats three run second to two out full count opposite field two run single to the right field corner for a 6-0 Nats lead. This was a very good piece of hitting by Cruz, concluded a 10-pitch plate appearance. But then what happened to Nelson Cruz? He got thrown out at second base for the third out and trying to stretch the single into a double. So another instance here of a Nats base run getting, getting thrown out uh, on the base pass this season. And then also with Cruz on Sunday was this reveal by longtime Rangers insider Evan Grant of the Dallas Morning News that the controversial play from Saturday the double that wasn't for Nelson Cruz, which we were told was not reviewable, in fact, was reviewable. So, Mark, I feel like we could talk about Nelson Cruz stuff for like an hour here. Uh, The floor is yours, though. Where would you like to start with all of these (laughs) Nelson Cruz-related items from Sunday? Let's let's start with the offense, uh, and then we'll we'll work our way to eventually get to the call because it is very interesting uh, from Saturday's game. A nice job by him in these situations of driving in the runners, good controlled at bats. Again, he's hitting it to the opposite field. That's where he's really been at his best this year, and I think it's a good sign. Like he still can turn on a fastball, like he did Saturday, and drove it out of the park. But in these RBI situations, if he's not getting that pitch, he can take the outside one and poke it to right field and get his hits in RBI that way. So good on him for doing that. The aggressive base running, a bit much from him. I wasn't a big fan of him trying to stretch that in a double, especially knowing that we saw all weekend, Adolis Garcia has got a hose. You don't want to test that. Now, the first one, sending Soto around to score on that one, did you see, I don't know if they showed uh, like a close-up of how Garcia made that throw totally off balance, off the wrong foot. He didn't stop to plant and make the throw. And he ends up skipping it in there and it gets away. And Nelson actually took an extra base on what they finally decided was an error on Garcia. If he had just set himself and made a good, strong throw, I think there was a chance that he would have been out. I don't know what would have happened. But I was okay with the send in that spot. I thought that was a a worthy send. It was sort of a 50-50, could go either way play. And it worked out. The gamble paid off. Now, as for the call from Saturday's game. Now the pitch. Swing and a line shot. Just foul past the diving third baseman Smith. Lunging, diving to his right toward the line. It was beyond him and just foul. Cruz is arguing that the ball hit Smith's glove. Now if it would depend where the ball was. If it's in foul ground and it hits his glove, it's still foul. So Evan Grant got MLB to admit that that play actually should have been reviewable that there is a distinction that any fair or foul call on a ball that's in front of the base umpire is not reviewable, except in this case, if it involves a deflection off a fielder. So it's not just a simple, did the ball roll fair or foul or land fair or foul? It's about the fielder. Now, the umpires obviously didn't know it. Neither manager knew it. Davey was not aware that that is something that could be reviewed, was told it could not be reviewed. His understanding was the only way that call could get changed is if the umpires themselves determined that somebody had seen it nick off the glove in fair territory. And what's even crazier is, so Evan had that report out during the middle of the game from MLB. And so we asked Davey about it afterwards, thinking that perhaps he had already heard from MLB or Laz Diaz, the crew chief, before today's game. And he had not heard anything from them. And so we were breaking that news to him. Did you hear from MLB or from Laz today regarding that play yesterday and that maybe actually could have been reviewed? No, no, I'm, I didn't hear anything. <laughs> I would expect that by the time we've now taped this, a call has been placed from Davey Martinez or Mike Rizzo to MLB offices to get some clarification on this. Whatever 
the end result of all that is they appear to have been screwed out of that one. Nobody understood that that actually is a reviewable play. That's really bad. I mean, that to me is inexcusable on the part of Major League Baseball. And I think this does stem from needlessly complicated replay rules. And like at least I advocated for in the last show, I think everything should be reviewable or close to everything should be reviewable. This is a joke that you have umpires and managers not knowing what's reviewable. Like, I think that right there is a flashing neon sign of maybe this is just a little bit overcomplicated here. But the fact that they haven't told Davey or at least had not told Davey prior to him speaking to you guys, that's really bad. And like we said, you know, you can't say that 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 necessarily cost the Nats the game, but still... That should not happen. At the major league level, that really should not happen, something like that, where the umpires and the managers don't know what's reviewable in a spot like that. Um, that, that was strange. That really was a shocking report when that came out on Sunday afternoon. Like, what? That was reviewable? I thought the whole point was that that wasn't reviewable. But there you go. Yeah. And, and the thing about it, too, is the way they've set it up now, they don't even the umpires don't even have to leave the field and get the whole hookup. They are connected via earpiece to New York. And that's the whole thing. And now they have a microphone to announce to the crowd, anything. They could have in that moment put the little earpiece in, said, hey, hello, New York. Uh, this is Laz Diaz in Texas. We have a question. Can we review this player? Not in somebody there, hopefully would have told them, yes, you can review it. That on top of everything else <laughs> is that they just assumed something and didn't even check to see if they could review it. Why can't the replay command center somehow alert the crew chief and say, hey, pal, you guys can review this, review this. Like, I would think the whole point of having this replay command center is that you have this, you know, eye in the sky, this lord of replay saying, no, 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 you can look at this. Like, again, what is the purpose of having this if, if it's not going to be able to be used for good to make that which is wrong right in a spot like Saturday's? Yeah. And I think part of the issue is that from the beginning, baseball has treated replay as a challenging thing that you have to initiate it. The umpires, there are a few calls that the umpires can just do on their own without a manager challenging it. But for the most part, it has to be challenged by the manager. And part of that was that they didn't want to have too many replays a game. They have a limit. If you get it wrong, you, know, you can run out of challenges over the course of a game. But yeah, in that case, especially when, like I said, you're connected right to them, it should be pretty simple to get some message to them very quickly, like, hang on a second, we can look at this if you want. And they all dropped the ball. Yeah, they did. I mean, it, st it starts with MLB. It, w it would be nice if Davey had known the rule or at least one of his assistants. Like in the NFL, head coaches sometimes will have an assistant who one of his designated responsibilities is replay, clock management, because that is a lot to know. Maybe Davey should designate one of his guys to be like a replay guy to really have a mastery of the rules so that in a spot like that, you can say, hey, hold on a second. That is reviewable. But it's telling that nobody knew that that was reviewable. I mean, I, I think that that does say a lot. And, and it was a weird play. Like, that's not one you see a lot where a deflected ball then lands foul and it all happens in front of an umpire. So let, let's not make it sound like this is a common occurrence. But anything can happen in a game. And you'd like to believe that when it happens, the people in charge know what can and cannot be done. You got to be prepared for this stuff. Uh, so the Nats offense in this series was primarily led by Josh Bell, Nelson Cruz, and Juan Soto. But I do want to make mention of Luis Garcia ultimately having another good series. Now, he went 0 for 4 on Saturday. That's true. But he had a key RBI double in the 2-1 win on Friday night. And Garcia in the 6-4 win on Sunday, 2 for 4 with a triple and a single 
Each hit coming on a 1-2 pitch. Top of the third, a two-out opposite field single to left on a 1-2 pitch to beat the shift. Garcia has that down now, it looks like, where he's got this gaping hole on the left side of the infield, and he'll just poke the baseball right through there for a single. It was a beautiful piece of hitting. And then Garcia in the top of the fifth, a two-out triple to the right center field gap on a 1-2 pitch. Luis Garcia was the Nats starting shortstop in every game in this series. Understand, the Nats this past Tuesday afternoon reinstated Alcides Escobar from the 10-day injured list. He'd been on that since June 1st with the right hamstring strain. Alcides Escobar has not appeared in a single game since being activated. I thought that we would see Alcides start on Sunday. We did not. We haven't seen him play since he was reinstated. And I'm not complaining about that. I'm just highlighting that. And, you know, sure enough, what we were told by Davey Martinez that Luis Garcia is going to be the every game shortstop. Boy, did Davey mean that. And then some. Alcides is being buried right now. He's been back for almost a week and he hasn't even appeared in a game. Never mind start. He hasn't appeared in a single game yet. 100%. You read my mind. I was thinking about that going into the game. I asked about it and Davey basically said that, you know, there may come a time when it looks like Luis needs a day off and he'll do that. They've also had Alcides taking ground balls at second base, third base, even working on shagging flies in the outfield in case the situation were to arise. But it is clear what they are doing right now. Luis Garcia is the everyday shortstop. Aside from an occasional day off here and there, he's going to continue to be the guy. We'll see as we move forward, we get to the trade deadline, maybe some opportunities open up where Escobar gets in there. But it has been very notable that there has been a dramatic shift here in how they're approaching this. Luis Garcia is the shortstop. I like what he did offensively. I've liked what he's done offensively since he got up here. To see the consistency from him has been really good. And he had an okay defensive series as well and made a really nice play in that crazy ninth inning. He had to go way back on a shallow pop-up into left field and make a tough catch on that one for the second out of the inning. You know, he's got a long way to go, obviously, defensively. But the mistakes he makes are bad, but he also does show you he has the athleticism to make some tough plays as well. Yeah, and the hitting just has been superb. I mean, I, I think even if you were bullish on Luis Garcia, you have to be at least a little surprised by what he's doing here. 97 plate appearances now since being recalled from AAA Rochester on June 1st. He's batting 319 with a 330 on base and a 468 slugging. And I think it says a lot. Davey had Garcia as a number five batter each of the first two games in this series. Like, he's moving on up, you know. Now, it's not, he's not there every game necessarily, but uh, he is moving up there. So the Nats get themselves a series win at the Rangers. Uh, next up is a seven-game homestand, three-game series against the Pittsburgh Pirates, four-game series against the Miami Marlins on July 4th weekend. As we've noted, the schedule has softened here a bit, and perhaps that does at least in part help to explain some of the better performances lately. I mean, the Nats have won four or six games. The Rangers are not as bad as they had been recently, but you know they're not like a great team or anything like that. Pirates aren't very good. Marlins are so-so. The, the Nats played the Orioles earlier uh, in the week. You know, the Orioles are rising, but they're still last in the American League. So I mean, it's good to see this. At least you're getting some wins. And, you know, you're not the, 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 the hopefully the slaughtering portion of the season is over where it just felt like very little chance game in, game out of winning. At least now it feels like the Nats are in it. You know, Davey likes to say stay in the fight. The Nats, it feels like, are in the fight. They're not going to win more than they lose. But at least, you know, the season can be at least somewhat competitive here. 
Yeah, these have all been close games. They've either won or lost. And you think back to prior to that when the Braves are just pounding them to death. The Mets were just killing them when they faced them. Um, the Phillies, it was a little closer, some more tense games there, and then a blowout win actually for them in the finale. So it is getting better there. They do have to start winning some games in division. I would say start with the Marlins coming up at the end of the week. They are, I think, one and eight against Miami this season. Miami's got good pitching. They don't hit a whole lot. These guys have got to find a way to, to at least compete with that team. It's one thing to get slaughtered by the Mets and Braves. It's another thing to be losing at that rate to the Marlins who, look, for the Nats to get back to where they want to get to, you got to take it step by step. The Marlins are the team directly in front of them. That's the team you got to start beating first, and then you set your sights on the big boys. So we'll see. Pirates and Marlins, it's a good opportunity for them if they can keep getting quality pitching to have a chance to have a nice little run here. And that that's the one thing they have not had at all this year. Even bad teams, they're going to have a couple of weeks where, hey, you win eight out of 10 or something like that. Feel good about yourself. This might be their opportunity to do that. We'll see how it goes this week. Yeah, the Nats on the season, 27 and 48 overall, 6 and 24 against National League East teams. The Nats have lost 24 of 30 games against National League East teams this season. You can hit us up on Twitter, at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. You can get yourself a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt by going to NatsChatPodcast.square.site. That's NatsChatPodcast.square.site. And always remember, if you are at Nationals Park for this upcoming seven-game home series, uh, you can take yourself a photo wearing a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt at the ballpark. Send it to us, and we'll put it out uh, on Twitter for you. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. From Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. We continue to welcome, with open arms, your memories, your tributes to Ryan Zimmerman. And we leave you now with Justin Jenkins of Ashburn, Virginia, with his memories of Ryan Zimmerman. The biggest Brian Zimmerman memory is, you know, that he hit the first home run in the Nationals World Series, and it just capped off. It was so appropriate that the guy that's going to, you know, lead us in the World Series is the guy that fought through all the times and, and get to the point where the Nationals are going to get in the World Series, and he's there, and he hits the first run, you know, that starts our, you know, ultimately our World Ser- Series victory. Here's the wide of the pitch. Swing and a drive hit well. Deep center field. Way back goes Springer to the warning track. Looking up and it is gone. Goodbye. Bang. Soon goes the Z-Man to the deepest part of Minute Maid Park. Just to the left of the batter's eye in center field. Ryan Zimmerman with his second home run of the postseason cuts the Astros lead in half. It's Houston 2 and Washington 1. On a postseason World Series home run for Ryan Zimmerman. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. 
Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.